And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod episode 160. That's a hell of a round number. And for those of you scoring at home, those are real episodes. I, I noticed some other podcasts like to do like random-ish numbers with their episodes. We've literally sat down to do this 160 times now, and we're still friends. Um, I am joined by my bros in podcasting, Mr. Nate LeBlanc. How's it going? Would you say we got to 160 swiftly? Nice. <laughs> Um, also, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you're just saying we don't do this, but we literally never released the first three. So we kind of, we're, we're kind of fudging our number as well, but we did. Record- well, we recorded them and we're saving you the pain of listening to them. But if you uh, donate to our non-existent Patreon, we will send those to your home. Uh, those three episodes, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, Dave always has an idea of what he's doing. Dave Ma, how's it going? Hey, it's good to be back with you guys. I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of bummed I missed the last session, but uh, it's, already, it's always good to get the triangle offense going. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's not the same man. without you, buddy. Aww. No, totally, totally. Me and, me and Nate uh, were just fighting over the talking stick. Uh, totally. And without you, without you rolling your eyes at us, it's just it's <laughs> the same, bro. Every question has a follow-up, and we're like, okay, I got a follow-up. No, no, can you hold on? I have a follow-up. There's no, there's no one to talk over? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you guys know the dynamic here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, as we sat down to record, today is a Monday, as we always record. Uh, tomorrow is March 9th, uh, kind of a, a you know celebratory or dark anniversary, depending on the way you think about it, of the passing of Notorious B.I.G., there is a new Netflix doc uh, called I Got a Story to Tell that just dropped. And we took some time to watch it uh, in the past week. And we want to talk about it a little bit um, and, you know, just kind of parse it out. How do we feel about it? First off, I know that as it was about to be released, there was some interesting talk on Twitter about, oh, geez, another biggie thing, which I, I thought was a very interesting take. I wanted to see kind of how you guys felt about that. Nate, can we have too much Biggie content? Probably. Um, I'm not a, directly addressing the question quite yet, but I will say that this relates to it. When my wife and I watched the documentary yesterday evening, she turns to me and she goes, yeah, it was all right, but it wasn't as good as the movie. Meaning, meaning notorious, and she was totally kidding. Like that's uh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> that was some deadpan, right there. Yeah. So, um, I don't watch all the rap documentaries, and I don't watch like YouTube like fake documentaries. Like I, I generally only watch something if it's like the participants are involved or it's like authorized. Kind of, kind of like how I don't really like listen to everyone's single tracks. I'll wait till they make an album. So I, I haven't watched that many Biggie documentaries. I'm not just sitting around consuming Biggie content in 2021. So this is great for me. Um, <laughs> it, it covers ground that has been covered because he, he's 24, dude. Like there just wasn't that much that no. happened 
Um, but I don't think this this uh, D-Rock is it's behind the scenes camcorder footage has been seen a ton or I've never seen it. So I found all that very interesting. So that we may be reaching Biggie saturation. Will this go on to be the definitive thing and stand as the documentary? I'm, I'm cool with that, but I don't know. Yeah. What about you guys? You know, I um, sort of to your point, sort of to your point, Nate, I, I also didn't feel like it was groundbreaking or anything, but I certainly am a sucker for all the footage. I loved um, seeing like footage of his mom as a young nurse um, and her fucking super adorable Jamaican accent. Um, I learned, I, I didn't know that she was in the Juicy video. I didn't know that was her. I just randomly thought it was an actress. So yeah. that was pretty cool to find out. Um, yeah, man, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I like the um, attention to detail that they, that they uh, paid. And, you know, um, again, I think we kind of talk about, talked about this off um, camera, but um, it's really good to see Easy Mo B in there, man. Get, you know, it's good to see him. Get yeah, his man. Um, I think he arguably yeah, had, he made the best beats for Biggie. I think Biggie sounded the best over his beats. And, you know, we're talking about give me the loot and party and bullshit flavor in your ear and the what i mean those are kind of unfuckwittable you know yeah. um but yeah man i oh, really i really enjoyed the film i think um a lot a lot of people like mentioned some stuff but it's like yo it's like everyone's a biggie expert now it's 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 like when the um <laughs> it's like when the olympics come it's when the olympics uh come around it's like oh you're an expert in gymnastics now bro you know so it's like everyone's a biggie right, expert right. now but it's like yo i love the familial content and i love all the old footage i'm a sucker for that um yeah you know, and it was a reminder. I mean, like it was a very uh, stark reminder of how young he was when he died. Man, just so so young. Um, and to Nate's point, to have some kind of unseen footage and a take or an angle on the movie that um, I thought was great, especially in his early life. Like I don't feel like we've seen or heard about that story before. And watching it, I went. Do we know this about any rapper? Like, has there been any rapper whose childhood kind of influences have been has been picked apart as such in a in a real movie movie? So I, I definitely enjoyed it from that angle. And I do feel like um, I had a little bit of trepidation going into it. Not that I consume all of the kind of uh, rap documentary stuff, which can get really weird sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, I do feel like the more uh, sensational parts of Biggie's life have, have been covered to, you know, I'm sorry, no other pun, but covered to death. Um, and it was cool to see uh, it really humanizes him. It, ta it takes him and it shows you like, ah, he was a little kid. You know what I mean? And, it, and his mom was an immigrant, which I think really contributes to the story in a really interesting way in terms of... Um, his approach to the music, his work ethic, just who he was and how that that really um, was a part of his his upbringing. So I def definitely enjoyed it. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the chapters that were in there, particularly uh, this one comment that a lot of folks bristled at, which was uh, Puffy, now P. Diddy, um, asserting that when he first heard Big, he felt that he could not understand what influences had created Big Style. Um, kind of like Biggie 
and his uh, rap cadences and such had descended from the heavens. Nate LeBlanc, uh, you like LeBron or a rap historian. Uh, what, uh, what, what was your take on, on said comment and, and kind of what, what are your thoughts on uh, Biggie's influences? First, a joke. Uh, was Diddy working as an actor in a film about a priest and filmed this in between his uh, setups? <laughs> Like, what was he wearing, dude? Um, second, uh, when when the film is really compelling and then Puff comes in, right? And the, the kind of, the, for me, the whole thing kind of like they did the record scratch thing. And I turned to my wife and I, I paused the movie and I did this big sigh and I was like, you know, it's hard to talk about this or think about this because I think Biggie would have been a great music artist no matter what. Maybe Puff got the best out of him and was the best producer, executive producer for his career. We'll never know because it's the only one he ever had. But can you imagine if this dude had not linked up with one of history's great cornballs? <laughs> like, <laughs> what if Biggie like, joined the Gangstar Federation totally, or whatever they call totally. it? You know what I mean? like, there's just so many other ways this could have gone. Like, what if what if it, the whole album was Moby Beats and it was on Payday or something and like Biggie was kind of an underground rapper and this is me the underground rap guy wanting him to be what I want him to be right like that was can, can I answer me. that though can I answer that question real quick okay yes but let me finish like it, it wouldn't have worked for his financial situation and I I totally understand that and I thought this he would be Big L <laughs> he would have been Big L like that's 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 what that is. That's a yeah. good. That, that's a good take. I mean, uh, to your point, Nate, I would have loved to see the narrative shift and you know, um, time and space change. And Biggie just hooked up with DJ Premier, and they both got rich. You know, yeah. uh, things like that. Um, I totally get it. Um, you know, circling back to my Easy Mo B point, um, I would have loved to see a you know a full album of that as well. Um, yeah, dude, I fucking hate Puff, dude. Every time I fucking see Damn. him, I'm like, dude, get out of here, dude. Get the fuck out of here. He's like, he's so like, he, he's self-contradicting all the time. And he's just a fucking cornball, dude. Get out of here. Especially on the point that Damone <laughs> just brought up, which is that they show footage in this that I have to assume Puffy saw as an executive producer on this film, his literal best friend. And like, you know, the person who spent the most time with him probably in his life of a high top faded young mm -hmm. Biggie essentially doing a Big Daddy Kane rhyme. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, right. so it's like his, he's like notorious big daddy Kane. Like, right. like, you know, and you get, you're saying he would have been notorious big L and like, that's interesting. And perhaps we can come back to that, but it's kind of a, to say there's no father to his style essentially is just, just patently wrong. And like, it doesn't, you don't need to embellish when the story is already so good. Totally. Like, right. You don't need to be making stuff up, dude. Like the, right. the, the demo tape, which I think we've all probably listened to in mm -hmm. bootleg mm -hmm. forms, is incredible, but that doesn't make it unprecedented. That it's just a weird thing to say. Interesting. I know. Interesting. I know. It, 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 he, he was like that big brother that fucking um, just exaggerates. Like every time you hear a story, it's like, oh, it was like a billion of this. It's like it wasn't a billion of that, dude. You know, <laughs> like yes, that that demo tape I'm sure was amazing, but I'm sure you guys it, it don't like uh... unheard of. You don't like hip hop's PT Barnum? You're not uh, you're not here for uh, for his salesmanship. That is, oh, these are okay. some interesting takes, and I didn't understand the the undercurrent of uh, of uh, anti uh, Diddy sentiment here. I, I would agree that it came off a little weird in the the film. It was it was kind of unnecessary because I think 
Puffy does understand um, that that you know, just like most people, there's there's a lineage and kind of a precursor to Styles. Um, but I was kind of thinking about it in the sense of, you know, uh, this is a guy also trying to sell a back catalog, right? Like he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to position his guy as you know, uh, essentially a rap god and doing his his whole sales pitch thing. So. I know that was a moment for a lot of us, uh, you know, hip hop heads where we kind of had to roll our eyes, but also we roll our eyes knowing what the, who the source is, right? It's not easy. Mo B didn't say that it was, it was Puff and it's very much in line with his uh, brand of, of self aggrandizement. Um, I had to explain to my girlfriend who's 28 um, that Puffy was actually not an artist. She's like, so was he an artist before? I'm like, he was never an artist. And that's something maybe we'll tackle on another episode of like, I don't know why we needed Puffy as a rapper. I mean, I think that more pisses me off than anything. But um, yeah, he he, he kind of derailed it a little bit. But let's talk about some of that show footage. I mean, just to see uh, D-Rock's camcorder stuff, which again, he mentions in the film in 1995, that was something. To have that much of your career kind of documented was really something. And I don't know that there's too many artists uh, that are like that. Um, but Nate, you, you saw the footage. Like, what, what kind of feels did you get just watching Biggie and his, his crew kind of I loved, tear shit down? I loved that Be- behind the scenes kind of footage. You guys remember the outfit uh, when he's walking through the halls of that... Um that hotel, I think it's in Iowa or something. I, I again, like the, all my, all my stories are, then I turned to my wife and said, cause that's what we've been doing for a year. Uh, I turned to Lucy and I was like, Biggie looks like super Eddie Bauer right now. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, a fisherman's yeah. like kind of fedora and like a kind of safari kind of looking coat. Totally. And then he goes on stage and murders. Murder. Yeah. People were going ape shit and that story that i'm getting the chills just talking about it like mm-hmm. i i never had a chance to see him i don't even know that it would have been possible though it is an interesting bay area connection his last interview was at kyld in san francisco mm-hmm. so that was Crazy. interesting to see but like he has so almost all of his songs were potential hits even the really grimy like underground ones and of the i, I forget how many tracks but not that many tracks on ready to die they're they're almost all complete bangers he's doing warning which is like this weird slow mm-hmm. story song and people mm-hmm. are losing their fucking mind like 40 feet back in the back row. Like, it's just crazy. Like he had such a commanding presence that his live show just looked insane. And I think that's when you can be like, he, he would never have been an underground rapper. He had to be famous because he was so charismatic and like mm. respond to you like that. Like I've been to a lot of underground rap shows, like people have gotten hype or whatever, but like, it's mostly like some, uh, you know, right. uh, rhythmic <laughs> head nodding. People are not <laughs> losing their mind. And he was True such that. a good rapper and such a charismatic figure and such a good performer that like hardened urban audiences were losing their fucking mind, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was mm-hmm. amazing to see. Dave, what, what were your, your thoughts peeping that footage? Oh, man. I mean, there's just so much of it. I, I, I get the chills kind of thinking about it as well. I mean, um, to Nate's point, I love the, the crazy um, outfits. And he definitely had a, a sort of a, um, outdoorsman look sometimes. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, his, you know, when, when they brought up that, um, 
they, they brought up his connection with Jay-Z and it's crazy that Jay-Z has been releasing music longer than Biggie has been alive or was alive. That is so crazy. That, you know, that was very shocking. Um, I mean, I, I can't really add anything to the, to the part about um, the, the footage besides that it's fucking incredible. I mean, he's so otherworldly, you know? And Absolutely. I, I, you know, to Nate's point, I mean, how, there's no way that he wasn't gonna blow up. He was just too big for, for everybody. You know. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting that um, to see the behind the scenes footage, including the KYLD interview, which I remember listening to. Um, wow. I've told my my I saw Biggie when he was at a 50 person club story. I won't repeat. But um, I remember listening to that interview and to see it, to see the footage of it. And he just looks so young. Like it really, yeah. it's almost heartbreaking in the sense where he's like, hey, don't don't judge me yet. I know you heard what Tupac said because he was on the West Coast. Like he was out here trying to kind of di diffuse some things. And I'm like, I know you've heard things, but like, just get to know me. And he, he just seemed like, I don't know. It, it was, again, a very kind of humanizing uh, portrayal. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Um, how important is Jamaica to everything? <laughs> like, uh, how is it, like Jamaica is so important, right? It's so fucking important, and I feel like I, like even just talking about it is not enough. You know what I mean? Right. You cannot right. overstate Jamaica's importance. Not, I mean, besides just being um, uh, a producer of like the greatest music ever made. I mean, personally speaking, um, it's it's you know it's an indirect lifeline to hip hop. You know, and um, yeah, again, it was really great to see um, his mom and and her Jamaican accent. And, you know, it part of the documentary, which I thought was was revealing and important was, um, you know, just his his childhood with jazz and Jamaican music. Yes. And you yeah. can see why, like, you know, a, as raw as he was as a spitter, as we would say, I mean, he was very musical, man. He kind of, he, you know, he, he, he was able to like flutter almost at times, mm. like over the beat and just have the most hardest voice ever. So um, yeah, man, how, how important is Jamaica? It's the utmost important, I think. I mean, if we're talking about hip hop being like a global phenomenon, um, Jamaica is, is the seedling. Very, very, very much so. And it was interesting that they really dug into his musical roots. Nate, I know you got your jollies on the part where, as did I, the part where they're talking about um, Biggie's cadences and how they mirror a jazz drummer like max roach what, what what did you make of what did you make of that and uh the follow-up to that is do you do you think that's true or or, or is his jazz friend embellishing because it just it sounds amazing uh let me begin by saying that i think it's a really well-made documentary i think it, it was paced well i thought that the title cards and the editing had pace and they were exciting and like that for the most part, the sound design and the editing and all that stuff, I thought it was top notch. I thought that this, this, it I was like, yeah, I'm on a ride. This is really, really cool. That said, I didn't agree with that particular statement, <laughs> even though it was edited well, I, I just wasn't really buying it. Like um, a lot of people have praised that part of the documentary as bringing some new light to this. I had seen even on some people who got screeners, like Instagram stories, they're like, oh, you guys heads are going to blow up when you see this shit on Friday. And I was kind of like, he seems like a nice guy. He's got a really good sax tone. He seems like a very legitimate person, but like, I kind of feel like we would have heard about this before if it was really a big part of his life. It felt like mm -hmm. a bit of a reach. 
um, okay. to me. And like, I think his clusters of syllables are, you know, as a writerly construct, sure. As like a definitive statement in the definitive documentary, I, I, I just kind of wasn't buying it. And I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Asking, but it, that, that part didn't work for me. I'll be totally honest. I'm, I'm it, fine with him saying it. I just don't. I yeah, just, you, you aren't buying it. I'm like, I wonder if Nate's buying this. I was uh, <laughs> I was a little bit a little bit skeptical, but also kind of like what what I will agree with and maybe this is all dude is trying to say is that um, Biggie's flow had musicality to it. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't stiff. That. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't stiff or or stayed. Um, let's talk about omissions. Uh, Little Kim and her role in his life, at least as I've understood it, we we did not see we did not see her as a talking head, nor was she ever um, kind of brought up as as an influence. What do you make of that, Nate? This is so mean, but do you think it was it would be confusing for people because you had all this footage of o older, cute little Kim when she looked oh like a real gosh. person, and oh, then if you would so have cute. put her on camera now, you would have yeah. Been like, what does Corella Deville have to do with this? <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? Uh, right now? Sorry, that's uh, me. Um, I, I thought it was just the right amount per person. Really? Okay. Yeah. It, okay. You just like a little Kim? <laughs> just, a, just a little <laughs> bit of Kim. Not, it's uh, if her name was Lot Kim, you know, we wouldn't yeah, be no. talking about it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was fine. You know what? The the part that I thought that was really interesting about that, and it showed how different he was from his peers was like when his friend whose name I'm not remembering right now was like, you're always saying like junior mafia and stuff. Who's that? And he's like, that's you guys. y'all. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so funny. And it reminded yeah. me of my little riff I did when we were having one of our Doom conversations one time. And I was like, how charismatic did Doom have to be to be like, okay, now your name is Rodan and your name is Megan. Yeah. Yeah, a big three-headed monster, and I can <laughs> as a snake, and like everyone's yeah. like, okay, and yeah. So it's a little easier for you know your your friend to become little cease and to be your hype man and your driver, and you know they right. rolls your blunts and stuff. That probably is what was happening. But I just thought it was interesting that how much vision Biggie had, and he kind of yes. had he didn't have the executed into a record deal vision like RZA did, but he was thinking four steps ahead like i'm gonna set yep. everybody up and that part yep. where they showed the big group photo and he's like i gave everybody a character i gave everybody a mm -hmm. role i'm wishing mm -hmm. you could have seen that come to fruition a little bit more and yeah. i've just never been a big little kim guy i was reading something i think we're going to talk about in a minute where they were saying little kim's hardcore is one of biggie's best records it's like his best executive production mm -hmm. as a, as and, he, a, and he wrote he wrote a good deal of it from what I understand. That's what, yeah. that's what they tell me. I've I, like listened to it once in, you know, 95 and never listened to it again. I need to kind of revisit, but just to wind back to the point, I, I, I thought that was fine. Like it needs to be about him. And it's almost a cliche for the rapper to be having to choose music or the streets. Like we, we've heard that a lot. Right. But sure. I thought sure. this, this film in particular did a pretty good job of dramatizing that and making mm -hmm. that North Carolina trip yeah. fulcrum yeah. on which that turned and that that part from puff was compelling just to not like shit on puff for yeah. half an hour here but yeah <laughs> those are kind of my thoughts dave you know, dave I, what was left out for you what did you feel like they I'm, they didn't touch on i'm not the biggest little kim stan but i i think her presence could have been a little bit more emboldened i mean you know we talk about biggie being a visionary and i think she was probably his greatest creation um, you know, the hyper-sexualized, bold club female MC who, which we see now in like a plethora right. of people, but 
Right. You know, I, I wouldn't have minded a little bit more Kim just because I felt like she was, like I said, like his, his most important product that he actually made. So um, other than that, man, again, happy to see Easy Mo B. I'm ready for the Easy yeah. Mo documentary. Yeah, we, we don't have to do it, man, because they, they don't know about uh, they don't know about Easy Mo B like that. <laughs> I, the, my favorite omission or what I thought they did a good job of leaving out was not lingering too much on the feud between uh, Biggie and Tupac, because I do feel that particular um, saga has been overcovered at this mm-hmm. point. And they mm-hmm. kind of like, they're like, you know, you know what happened, like, you know yeah. how this escalated. Um, and the fact that they, they didn't dwell there to me um, made me feel, it, it made the tone of the film, um, hopeful is the wrong word, but it, it does kind of, celebratory of his life and not like this salacious um, recounting soap opera tabloid recounting of his death, which we've, uh, we've seen a bunch. So um, I agree with Nate. Uh, I feel like it was a, a well put together movie um, and something that will probably be the movie. Like uh, what's uh, what's the Bob Marley doc? Um, oh, is it called legend? There's like a definitive Bob Marley. There's several, but there's one that came out in the in the early 2000s that's like the one. Um, I do feel like this will will hold up, especially because of the uh, the footage that they had uh, that we've never seen and and Biggie as a child. Um, I, like before we move on, like can you imagine? Like this part I thought was very compelling with the mom, like the the old mashed potatoes. Oh my god, that part was. <laughs> heartbreaking dude and then when she's like he disrespected my house i was like oh my god like this is so compelling she's She's like i've never been mad at a dead person but god damn it i I also love the part where he told her not to listen to his music and i was like that was awesome i pretty much have that rule with everyone in my life and my podcast (laughs) so i thought it was really (laughs) moving um you know the part with his father too like um because in his music you know through the years Mm -hmm. we have heard him address that right right um, in a very negative way and so to hear him kind of talk about that and to see those pictures and to yeah, just like talking him. about how heartbroken she was i thought that was very compelling yeah it's a um, it's the type of uh dissection and and coverage that that rap deserves um and i'm glad that it was it was done uh for biggie and now you know hey netflix you're a content machine there are other rappers besides Biggie and, and Tupac. Let's let's go. I'd like to see some more uh, some more of these produced um, these kind of looks into rappers' lives. Um, but that's that's not all. Uh, there is also, in addition to this doc being out, there is a huge article coming out in Passion of the Weiss. By the time you hear this podcast, it will be living online, most likely. Um, Dave, can you kind of tee up? You were part of this project with Passion of the Lights. Can you tee up for the for the listeners what what's a, what's about to drop tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it's going to drop tomorrow. I think that's it's on the dock for it, but I'm not sure. But um, yeah, we uh, at Passion of the Weiss uh, corralled all the writers, and we're doing just a, a top, a best, a biggie um, mm-hmm. article, and it's going to be a big rollout. And um, shout out to A Beam who. We took on this tremendous undertaking and sort of in a beam style if you once you read the intro he he weaves in things about you know the nba mvp and uh len bias <laughs> and stuff so it's it's ve- it's it's very um it's very on brand um shout out jeff weiss as well 
uh, the literary assassin that lets us uh, use its platform <laughs> and sort of have fun with it. Um, yeah, man, I, I think it's a, it's a really tremendous effort to, to rank and write about all the Biggie songs. And I think- Like um, every song, like, like literally every, every song. Biggie like song song is ranked. Every song song. And like when we were going back and forth, it's like, do we, do we include this remix? Do we include this mm-hmm. guest verse? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we dove in, we, we dove in head first. And um, you know, you have cats like Paul Thompson and Dean Van Wyn and Sun Ra and Max, Max Bell um, covering, you know, all of uh, Biggie's uh, tracks. Um, I did Who Shot Ya which, uh, you know, which is a uh, rap's most mis- misunderstood song. Yes, sir. So, you know, I, I, it's a great thing that we're unveiling. Um, it's coming out um, and, you know, like a, a lot of sites do lists, but uh, this was a huge, huge undertaking and we did it in earnest. I think everybody, who, yeah. You yeah. Know, once you read it, it's, it's for the heads, but it's also informative and, and it's done respectfully. So it's um, not a cheap listicle. Yeah, uh, I'll totally. say that having, so, having read some of it. Yes. Right. Uh, Juicy is not number one. Okay. You know, okay. So. <laughs> it was so interesting seeing where things uh, landed. And I don't know if we want to get like super technical into the backstory, but it was kind of done in the style of the year end best ofs where everybody makes lists mm-hmm. and then a smaller team kind of parses the lists and then ranks things and then assigns out the blurbs. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's long. I mean, this is, this is a, an undertaking. It's so interesting. Because, six songs, no? Yeah. Biggie has a, a, such a short catalog for a, for a, for an artist of his stature, which a brilliantly covers this in the intro. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mm-hmm. have that many songs. So um, it, I feel like we kind of talked about this the other day or um, the other week about Lauren Hill and how she's often put up as the best female rapper. And I'm like, there's just not enough songs. Like, Mm. she only raps on like 25 songs like how can she be the best when there's like you know 10 albums of name name other person like with a longer career anyway but biggie is biggie's status is not to be questioned he's one of the the genre's leading lights and he's he's one of the best to ever do it and he would have probably would if he would have died after the first album, he would have been considered yeah, to be one of the still best. Still legendary. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's what Chris Rock said, right? He's like, look, I mean, Biggie is considered one of the greatest off of one album. Yeah, I yeah, mean, that's yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Um, it, the list is so well done, and I have to give a lot of respect to Abe, who I'm also reading his Eddie Murphy series on Passion of the Weiss. It, there are so many brilliant comparisons and sentence constructions and he's, he's just a really good writer i'm just really impressed with him and been reading a lot of his stuff lately but i think the thing that i i, I don't know if it's going to be pointed out specifically so i want to point it out he wrote the last 56 blurbs himself yep which is yep. wild yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, like, wild. I, I wrote two for the christmas list and i'm like you know it takes Tired. me a week and i'm all in my feelings <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean it's just crazy <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's just a huge, massive undertaking from friend of the program and past uh, member of the roundtable, Abe Beam. And Dave's uh, piece on Who Shot You is great. And it's, it provides this much needed corrective about the narratives around Who Shot You and yeah. also celebrates it as music. Um, some of the other guys have some great blurbs as well. But it's just, it's, this is a really, really compelling piece of uh, like Voltron style music criticism that only the POW team can do. It. Only. Only yeah, yeah. super yeah. super cool thing. Yeah, we're we're, we're grateful to have uh, all the collective work that went into that. Uh, I will reiterate, not a cheap listicle. This is not like one of those you have to click through twenty five um, screens and fourteen ads to find out Juicy's number one. Like it's it's <laughs> it's set up. 
it's set up in such a way by by folks who really know and understand the music and, and dissect it uh, brilliantly. So um, hopefully that's out right now. As you're listening to this, go check it out on Passion of the Wise. Um, we are obviously, you know, huge fans of, of Big, and it's been great to actually do a Biggie-focused segment, which I, I don't believe we've done in 160 episodes. So. All it took was a 25,000-word uh, article and a definitive documentary to get us to talk about it. <laughs> That's it. So if you if your favorite rapper hasn't done that yet, what can we do? Um, but yeah, we, we definitely um, are celebrating the life and legacy of Notorious B.I.G., and we appreciate y'all for nerding out with us. Stay tuned. In this program, we will be covering our question of the week, which had to do with some of our uh, Twitter followers' reactions to the Biggie Doc, which there's some juicy stuff in there, which you'll hear on the other side of our interview. But, you know, this is all a dream to me, guys. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back. This is our 160th episode, meaning that we've talked a gang of shit uh, over the last couple of years. So much so that I feel like I am getting better at talking. And if you are doubtful of that, you should check out our Monday night stereo sessions. We're doing a new promotion with an app called Stereo. Basically, it kind of takes a, a party line type of uh, format where you could participate in or listen to conversations with people from around the world. Um, and it's interesting because it, uh, it's an audio app, but you create a little avatar of yourself. And the avatar's lips move while you're talking, uh, which is fun and, and also slightly unsettling, uh, depending on depending on how good you are at creating avatars. I think Dave's um, is enchanting in a way. Uh, Damone, you went very literal. You went like uh, the Na'vi from the movie Avatar, blue skin, dreads, <laughs> a lot of tribal imagery. I thought that was a bold choice. Well, you know, that's how you get the listeners on uh, on stereo with the, with the fly avatar. And so, yeah, we, we as a Dad Bod Rap Pod, you will find two of us on stereo Monday night, 7.30 PST, uh, talking a little bit about the episode that we just recorded and, you know, just really general hip hop banter. Last week, me and Nate uh, talked about uh, our best, worst white rappers, which was a, a very enlightening conversation where we, we learned about Nate's deep affinity for Vanilla Ice um and you know He's if you're looking misunderstood that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> read Look, Jeff's article uh, america <laughs> yeah uh, if 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 you would like to hear a vanilla ice apologist or or any other type of uh rap content you should check us out on stereo download the app uh 7 30s monday dad blood rap pod we will be uh talking our shit as we do so hopefully you can join us there but Listeners to this program know that we don't only just talk our shit. We bring on other guests 
to uh, talk shit with us. And today is no different. We've got an interview lined up with a rapper that I will be honest and say I did not know about until Dante Ross was on our program. Uh, and he mentioned uh, a young man that he was working with by the name of Marlon Kraft, um, who I had a chance to check out some of his material. Uh, very witty, sharp lyricist, uh, a guy who uh, has a very interesting background, which we get into in this interview. And I'll be honest, I really feel like he has a very bright future um, because of the type of the music, the type of music that he's making, his age, and just his kind of approach to the game, which I thought was uh, really enlightening and refreshing. Uh, also, really big uh, basketball fan, and also kind of a, a quasi—not quasi—he he played a lot of uh, high-level high school basketball. So we get a little bit of basketball banter in there. Um, all around good time. Enjoy talking to this cat. So without further ado, here is our interview with Marlon Kraft. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back. Another week, another dope interview. Joining us on Zoom right now, we have NYC-based rapper Marlon Kraft. He's got a new album out called How How We Intended. Excuse me. Marlon Kraft, welcome to the program, man. How you doing? What's up, man? I'm, I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. How's it going? Man, uh, we're, we're living, surviving here on, a, on another Monday. Um, in the eternal March of the pandemic, it seems like, uh, I'm like, oh, it's March again? Was When was it not March? Uh, but yeah, we're doing all right. Um, glad that you could join us on the program. Let, let's take it back to the beginning. Um, and I wanted to ask, you are from New York. Um, you know, obviously hip hop culture is, that's that's the Mecca, but how did you get into it, into it? Like, at what point did you, really wrap your mind around that you wanted to do this as a career and kind of what was your your inspiration to get in, to get involved in rap music yeah i mean um just growing up you know like all all the older homies just on my block and just at the basketball court and everything just kind of were putting me on i was talking to somebody yesterday about is like the first two albums that they ever like played for me at the park was like it was like Stillmatic and Lincoln Park, <laughs> you know, it was like that era. Um, but it was like Stillmatic and 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 then it was like you know like Nellyville was hot and like the Eminem show and like it was that whole era. And then you know, I spent a lot of time. I was a ball player, played for Riverside Church up in Harlem, and I was all in Harlem in the South Bronx. And uh, you know, in my middle school years and high school years, and like Dipset was like a religion. You know, it was. It was crazy. And then, of course, you know, there's never an era where people in New York aren't listening to like, you know, old Jay-Z and shit like that. So um, it was just um, it was just given to me real naturally by people that I was around, people that I wanted to be like when I was really young. And then, um, you know, I occupied all these different spaces. Like I went to school on the Upper West Side in like this accelerated school. But then I had my Hell's Kitchen neighborhood friends and then I had 
all my friends, you know, where I was the only white kid on the, the team and it was like Harlem, South Bronx, I was running around and hip hop was like the universal language that everybody spoke, you know what I'm saying? So I just was more and more in trying to figure myself out and how I fit in all these different spaces. I was really drawn to hip hop, you know, because I was like, okay, like I identified with that universality, you know. Uh, well said, thank you. Um, I, I'm interested in like your your writing style. Like um, you mentioned Jay-Z earlier, are you like a put it together all in your head and then spit it kind of guy? Are you a writing it down and rewriting and crossing shit out kind of guy? Are you a notes app kind of guy? Like how do you actually construct your rhymes? Uh, yeah, definitely not in the head Jay-Z type of guy. I don't know how them dudes do that. I think it's like really impressive, but I also think it's one of those things where, and I think like they admit to this whenever they talk about it is it's like, they're kind of like, this is just, it's like how they're wired, you know, For like sure. that's just how they do it. So they're doing the same thing as everybody else. I, th I think it's been bad in the aggregate when people think they can do that. It makes your rhymes much worse if you, if that's yeah. all you can remember, but please continue. <laughs> no, yeah. Like that's what I think you see a lot of guys now, like, like I don't even write shit. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like it, bro. Like, you know, but um, <laughs> like I, I, I write, uh, you know, I'm definitely a notes app guy. I'm definitely a Google Docs. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm all over, but I'll do different things. Usually if I'm in the actual studio, like in person working with people, um, I'll do the pen and pad, you know, cause that's just a different energy and a different, like have to be super deliberate with every line, you know? Um, sometimes I'll put stuff together, like, like puzzles where I'll have like little two bars here, four bar sections and try to try to figure it out. Especially if I'm like starting knowing what I want to address. I uh, just let it explode out and then kind of put it all together. Um, so I, I'll do, I'll do anything. Sometimes, you know, I write without a beat, you know, and it finds a home later. Sometimes mo most times I do try to write to the music so that it emotionally comes from that place. But um, yeah, I look at it like, you know, it's all part of my toolbox. So I want to be able to have access to whatever type of vibe or setting or mode that I need to go to, you know? Right on. Uh, speaking of, of your process, how do you go about selecting beats? Like some, some rappers we've noted on this program have a hard time understanding what they sound good on. Um, do, do you pick your own stuff? Do you have a, a team of folks that, that helps you get stuff? Do you have a producer that you is kind of a go-to for you? I mean, I got my guys, you know, and like the, these days, to be honest, and it was different in the beginning, but these days, like rarely, like I, we do music by committee, like rarely does someone just send me a beat and then I just get on it and that's it. Like, you know, like we send each other like ideas a big shift for me was when I stopped thinking about beats that producers sent me as finished products. You know, like I, I, I work with a lot of musicians, so I hear something and, and that allowed me to stop having such high expectations of the beats too, to where it's like, okay, this isn't, doesn't need to be finished, but there's a musical idea in here that's so fire and I'm gonna call so-and-so, I'm gonna call so-and-so, get him to play some keys on it, get him to throw some horns on it, whatever, and we're gonna turn it into something crazy. So even now I'm doing everything off Zoom but like I have like, you know, sort of my core, like this is cat Dan Edinburgh and this cat X-Main who we do, we did like half the album over Zoom, like the three of us. And then my boy Arbus from Sweden, who I've been rocking with for years now. And then I'll do sessions with like, I love to work with like 
producers, producers and the musicians. So it's like they're doing the drums and the basic hip hop ideas, but then like, you know, we sprinkle in the musicality around it. So, you know, and then sometimes I'm just literally like, I'm about to do an EP with this producer who I just really liked rapping to his beats on YouTube and like <laughs> not touching them and then putting them out as like little freestyles. And every, that's how I made mom's whiskey and everyone just loves it. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do like seven of these. So it really depends, um, you know, and, and I, and I think like one of the things that I'm trying to figure out right now and learning about is like, how do you be like, we've seen a lot of Jack of all trades type guys that I feel like suffer because of that. You know, they're always trying to show you everything that they can do. And it's like, what's their sound and what's their thing. So I feel like I can and love to do a lot of different things. And so I'm trying to figure out um, in the ways that I do it and the ways that I put it out, what's the, what's the best way to, to go all over the place without it being like coming like an exhibition of everything I can do, you know? So, but I, but I do, I, I'll do any type of different thing. That's really interesting. And that leads me to something I kind of wanted to ask you about slash say to you, I listened to the record today and I have to tell you, and like, we're quite a bit older than you, but, uh, and maybe it's just kind of our era, but like, I loved the intro. Like Thank you, man. you just, you just ripped that intro and you had this kind of sneering, quality to it where it's like you sounded pissed off about something and like you were kind of getting it off your chest and maybe I'm not reading that correctly I'll let you correct me but then there are more songy songs on the record right it's it's well-rounded there's hooks there's there's different approaches stylistically but I wouldn't mind if you're if you're crafting your next couple of projects just like a barred out like pissed off Marlon Craft project based on what I heard today so I don't know if there's a question in there but maybe maybe I'll yeah I'll come up with one but basically like um can you just talk about your approaches like and when when you when do you decide to bar out and when do you decide to make it more of a songy song if that makes sense yeah see what what you've expressed is exactly what I was hitting on right like it's like I know I have all these different types of of fans and actually it's it's ironic because I think that it's a reason it's a challenge, but it's a great one because I think in the end, I think that it, I have the potential and will be very, very, very big artist because of the different variety of fan bases that I can reach. But I have fans in all of these different buckets, whereas you see like most people stay in one bucket and then it eventually tips over. A good example of that is like Griselda, right? Just know their audience, keep making what they do and elevating what they do fire right until it, eventually the bucket it like they got like every one of those fans and it tipped over into now they're mainstream you know what i'm saying so but whereas with me it's like i, I have all these buckets rising at the same time so um and and it, and i don't feel a responsibility like i i don't sit here being like like when Drake's like a classic is just 10 of these, you know, like I could, right. I, I don't feel that like that. I don't feel like a responsibility when I go on the album to be like, I got to take care of this fan, that fan or whatever. I'm just taking care of myself. Like this shit that I like, I like all of it. And I'm a very, I have so many layers to me as a person. So if I'm expressing, there's all these different things, but I, but I do think like, that is what I'm starting to think about. Right. Is like maybe doing some different projects that are like, this is, this is this bag and this is what, and then this is this bag and this is this bag. And then whenever you get an album from me, I'm gonna make it real clear. Like, yo, this is the eclectic yet cohesive like composition of where I'm at musically in the, 
in like the progression of my musical legacy. And I'm gonna make that very clear, right? It's like Funhouse Mirror, how we intended, whatever that next thing is. But in the in-between, giving you like the this and the that and whatever, because um that's that's my bag too. I love it. I just I just I love all the other stuff too. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, how we intended a little bit. Um, was this a a uh, Dante Ross Anard project? Um, I uh, uh, not officially, but I mean, you know, <laughs> we do we do we do like like I said, we do music by committee, and we do like management by committee. Like it's a, you know we're the team, and so Dante. Yeah, he's definitely filled. I don't really, I'm a young guy. So to be honest, like, I don't really understand A&R that well. Cause since I've been in the game, A&R just means like you look at data on a screen and then you like bid on rappers. Like, you know, it makes it right. <laughs> Dante is from the school of actual A&Rs, yeah. right? He's like yeah. an actual legit music. Like he's like a musical savant, you know what I'm saying? And he's like, mm-hmm. you know, and and he uh, connected me with cats, you know, put me in the studio with cats like that that ended up on the album. Like he did real A and R stuff on this album. So, um, so yeah, you could say that, but I don't, I don't think about it in certain, like in terms of A and R when it comes to like who, who puts this together, who conceptual, I'd be like, I'd be like, motherfucker, I did that shit. <laughs> <laughs> fair, you know? fair enough. Fair enough. And it was interesting. We, we had him on the show. That's actually how we found out about you. We had him on the show. Um, and he was kind of like, I guess I kind of A&R'd it. I don't know. I fuck with Marlon Craft. That was kind of his his uh, attitude as well. Um, what 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 was kind of the the I don't know if you had a guiding theme or kind of idea behind this project. Like, what what were you trying to do with how we intended? And and second part of that is this a, a pandemic record? Um. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't. So the record. So it's. Uh, it's crazy because so this was supposed to be an EP, right? That that I had like six songs done and it was just gonna be like a six song EP. And literally like we had just begun, we had just announced the release show for what was gonna be this EP the day before the coronavirus shut down. And so, and the, the how we intended kind of theme, this idea that, you know, that the path is never going to be linear, but if you stay true to your intention, you're going to end up exactly where you intend to be, despite the fact that it's going to look nothing like how you intended it to look getting there. That was kind of the theme. Like I didn't, when I was going to put out the EP, I never even intended it to be an EP. Uh, Like we were talking about, we were really going through it at the time, like doing some rough like tour life situations and money was, you know, I was in debt and it was like a whole thing, but it was like, I was staying. So every time the shit got pushed back and then I decided to turn it into an album and then I, then the world changed the, 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 the theme took on more and more meaning because it was like the literal execution of what I was talking about. And then as I started adding more tracks to it, building out to an album, it became clear that like, Oh, this is like the story of this year, you know? And so 2020 intro was called 2020 intro because originally I was supposed to drop that shit in like the beginning of 2020 and let motherfuckers know like, yo, I'm coming this year. But then, so I kept it that way because, you know, and if you listen to the interludes and stuff, it's like, it ended up telling the story of this whole year for me and for us in this, in this journey of figuring stuff out. And, and so I started the year with that energy 
and then ended with a little bit of a, of a different energy, you know? Absolutely. Um, has, I don't know, I mean, everyone's life has been affected, but like, do you consider the ability to not tour this or to have to have switched everything up and just deal with like kind of staying at home to have like kind of put a pause on your career or have you found other avenues to try to promote? Did you do any live streams? Did you like go harder on Twitter? Like, can you just talk to us about how you responded personally to the, just not being able to do what artists need to do? Yeah. I mean, it's been an incredible, incredible year. Obviously it's been a terrible year for the world, for a lot of people. And, you know, like, it's not like I've been like having a great deal of fun, you know, it's been really, really hard year mentally, but in terms of my career, I was able to grow it, you know, really significantly and finally build a structure to where I'm finally making enough money to live. I got my own, my own spot. I, I built my business independently in a way that makes sense. Um, I made the decision to go back independent during the pandemic. I started this thing called the center, which is my own subscription service where like my hundreds of diehard fans like support me with monthly income to pay for videos and stuff like that. And I give them weekly zooms and exclusive songs and merch and stuff like that. Um, and, and I've grown, you know, my audience in every, by every metric, you know? And so to me, it's been, weird like i i, I kind of leaned into it and it's kind of like when the going gets rough you know it's like that's who i've always been you know like it's like let me put my head down and like try to figure out a way to to to, to make this shit work and and so i have so um it's 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 i'm not like it's hard to be grateful for any of this shit but it's also like i would i would be in a whole different place if this hadn't happened and I'm grateful for the perspectives that I've been allotted and how I've been able to get to this place, ironically, during this like terrible year. Right on, appreciate that. Um, in your music, you definitely deal with uh, themes of social justice. I was listening to uh, your State of the Union track, which, uh, which came out on inauguration day. Do you feel a, a type of responsibility at all as a white person in the rap game to bring these things to the forefront? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I just feel like I'm a white artist in a black space trying to make a living here. When we talk about appropriations, like that's the definition, like are you contributing back to the culture you're trying to take from? Um, and then knowing that I have the knowledge and, and, and have done a, 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 an amount of research and studying and understanding that I have points of view on these things that are informed, like then I have a responsibility to, to share them um, and to try to use my platform to reach other people um, that look like me, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, what I always do, do say is, with that being said, I, I, it's not really that calculated for me at this point, you know, like this is the stuff that I authentically care about. So like when I go listen to a beat and I feel emotion and I think about what I want to write or when I go to get some shit off my chest, which is how I've always used writing, it's like I'm taking from the conversations that I'm having with my family, with my with my friends, with myself, shit that I'm reading that's getting me frustrated or getting me like, you know, to whatever state that I want to put it down on paper. 
Um, and then it just comes, you know, like that's how State of the Union happened where I was just like, yo, like this shit is I, it, like, I'm gonna have to do one of these crazy ones where I just OD for like four minutes. Cause I, cause I'm really like all this shit is fucking blowing my, so, um, you know, I, but I do feel a responsibility and I think it's every, you know, especially white artists that, you know, white people that exist in, in traditionally black spaces. But at this point, like just all white people in general, like I think it's their responsibility to just look at your space, whatever space you occupy in your life and say like, how am I leveraging, you know, what I have or just how am I adjusting my behavior in my space on a micro level to try to contribute back, uh, you know, in terms of fighting against, you know, the, the institutionalized disparities that we have. So, yeah. Thank you. Go slightly less heavy with this one, uh, but great answer. Um, you're from New York. Are you enjoying the Knicks season and Julius Randle? And uh, are you still, you said you hooped when you were younger. Are you still pretty into it? Yeah, I'm a, I, so, <laughs> I mean, so, so I'm a hooper, like, you know, like I really, I really like was hooping and I was like, you know, a thousand point score in high school and I was uh, running around playing AAU ball and stuff. And then I, I, I went back when I was trying to rap when I came home from school and I, you know, I worked part-time at Riverside church as a coach. I was coaching kids. Um, so I'm, I'm a lifer, you know, uh, that being said, I'm a diehard Knicks fan. And that means that I'm a, that I've been through a lot. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so like, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to be negative, but like, but we, we, if you really a Knicks fan, you know what I'm saying? Then you've seen this a million times. <laughs> like they're not good. You know what I'm saying? There's, they're, they're like, I can't let myself get, it's like, you understand I have trauma. We, like, we're I Warriors fans. And I know that, that that means something different now, but we're 80s and 90s Warriors fans. Like we went through Growing a lot up. of misery. Yeah. Same, same, yeah. same deal. Yeah, I can't, I can't, you, you, you'll forgive me if I have no sympathy for y'all, but, <laughs> but, but I can't, I can't like let myself get that excited genuinely because all jokes aside, like I was like, I watch every game. Yeah. Like I would, that's Ooh, who I was. Okay. I was like, I watch okay. every game. I'm diehard. And it does get to the point where it's like, yo, I don't have the emotional space for this. So <laughs> this year, like I'm not, I haven't been keeping up as much when I do watch I've seen some really good moments where I'm excited about what we got going on and, and where it's like a lot of those years where it's like, all we want is a team that we could root for. It's going to play hard, play well, and, and has a shot to win it, win, and they're doing the damn thing. Um, but what, I don't know, Julius Randall, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, I really don't, I don't really like his game like that. Yo. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, and, and you know what? I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair because I was only watching in the beginning of the season. He was really going nut. And he was just like that. It was like bully ball. Like, you know, like it looked yep. like that, that guy who was like the biggest guy on like the eighth grade AAU team <laughs> goes down low and just bullies his way to the basket and then tries to get his own rebound. And like, you know, and, 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 and it's, you know, I'm going to take it off him. Cause it's not even on him. Cause like what I just hate about the one-on-one -on -one nature of the NBA is it's like, why does someone have to be the ISO guy? Why can't you just yeah. play? you don't have Kevin Durant? Julius Randle's not Kevin Durant. Just play actual basketball. Stop giving it to the guy with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Let him go nut. That's not what I want to see. You know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, 
You, I can talk about this Damn. for hours, but but, but nah, I, I I'm not gonna be negative, man. I I I'm Tibbs has them playing like a real team for the first yeah. time in a long time. Julius Randle, I really appreciate the energy that he's coming with, the respect that he's showing to the city and to the Garden by showing out in a tough year like he's doing and really putting that forward. And uh, so so I'm 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 tiptoeing back into letting my emotions get involved, man. But it's. It's hard. 17, it's 17, bro. This is time to get on. It's time to get back on the train, man. That's like a fifth seed in the East. But but we've but see, here's the thing. We've done this many times. See, this is the thing. We always do this. And then by the end of the year, it's like Trashville. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and and we especially in the beginning, like everyone's hyped. And and I did it too. Like, we always get hyped, you know what I'm saying? And it's just like Damn. so I'm a little more weathered, man. I'm an old soul. Okay. I've been I've been through I guess, it. but I'm like, Brad, you're like, what, 26? Like, 28. this is 20. I mean, damn, that's a, that's I, a lot of that's a lot of pain I, I get I, in, I, in mixed I, years. I just want to make it clear, like, I've earned my skepticism. <laughs> like, I was I banged for these dudes so hard. Like, I like Paul, I, I like literally, yo, I, I watched every game when I was away at college. I was on my laptop illegally streaming every game like i like i ride for these dudes you know what i'm saying so it's like, i get to i get to hold them accountable at a higher standard there 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 it is so for the record folks marlon craft not particularly impressed with holding optimism for now you're like the one new yorker that's doing this like everybody else is going ape shit um a little a little bit since we veered into basketball uh what position did you play give us a, a sense of what what your game is like uh, I was, you know, so when I played like, um, like for my school teams or like at the park or whatever, I was like, you know, scorer, slasher, passer, like real like score, but I was a shooter primarily. So like when I played like at the really, really high level, it, I was kind of like a three and D guy, you know, okay. like, um, but you know, with, but with a little, but I was a good passer and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, like if I was the best version of what my game could possibly be like by a human would be like maybe like Clay Thompson, you know, but, okay. but I was, okay. but I was, but I play made a little more than him. Like, cause I was, a, the problem, my problem was I should have played the one and I never mm -hmm. did cause I was tall and I could shoot and I couldn't dribble very well in the beginning. And so I should have been playing the one instead. I, I ended up really playing the, the two and then, you know, I didn't grow. I didn't get as big and as strong as, as everybody else got. That would, that was, you know what I mean? Like if I was sad six more inches, like I'd be, I, I don't know if we'd be talking, you know, I'd be, I would have been like, <laughs> I would have like played a D one and then like coach just, I don't know, who knows. Different, that would be a different podcast. Uh, yeah. Had you had the, 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 uh, what was it? The, uh, Anthony Davis uh, growth spurt, but right, Nate actually right. has Nate actually has a music related question. Thank you for indulging our, our basketball yeah. stuff. I do uh, yeah. I do want to take it back to hip hop real quick and like that I, I ask people questions like this. I don't know if this this like will resonate with you at all, but I I do want to ask since we have your time, like you're you you've changed your life. You've become a professional rapper, and I guess what I want to ask you is 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 it still fun? Like, do you still enjoy rapping? And like, do you do you rap? if it's not for your, your zoom people or for a song, like, is it still like turning the gears in your head? Yeah, man, that's a good question. I mean, the, the short answer is yes. Like, you know, I love this shit. 
I'm really one of those artists that um like I do this because I have to, you know. So the line gets blurred a lot between like fun and like a relief maybe I would say right like it's like a necessity for me to express as a human and this is my medium and my form so um so but I, but I love it I mean and, and there's a lot of days where it is work and and also outside of the work of what it can be to record and create an album like I also just do a lot of work like I answer a lot of emails I'm like you know like I said we kind of manage and do everything by committee so like you know I'm on it with a lot of things and doing a lot of calls and shit and that's not fun. Um, but you know, like, yeah, I, there's nothing that I love more than, than creating music with people. And that's why I miss the studio so bad. I haven't been in the, in the studio, like with the musicians live or playing live with the band performing and creating live in the studio, my two probably like favorite things in life. And I haven't been able to do either of them in a year, which is, which is unfortunate, but I'm still a lot luckier than most. So uh, but yeah, I love I love this shit, man. And and that's why like people play with the shit. It bothers me, you know, because I think a lot of people uh, don't love it. And I understand that there's always going to be like, um, you know, it exists in the context of capitalism and commercialization and people are trying to climb out of things or make money. And and that's cool, too. But like, you know, I, I just think it's like and I appreciate you guys, the people that do show the respect. But I, I feel like it's like. I don't ask for really much and, and I try to be like off the mic, uh, a humble dude. But but I the one thing that the one energy that I do have is just like, yo, you don't have to give me the accolades that these other guys are going to get. But like, like, give me the respect due for like what I put into this, how seriously I take this is like a different it's a different thing. You know what I mean? So I, I love it, man. I, I live this and 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 I, I bleed it, you know. Cool, man. We definitely respect the craftsmanship, no pun intended, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's it's clear that you care. And so I, it's just interesting to hear it from you. And yeah, man, we just appreciate you having you, having you on. Wish you a lot of future yes. success. It seems like yes. you're really set up to kind of um, to, to be big in the game and um, it comes from the right place. So yeah, we just wanted to, to say thanks and thanks for stopping by and chatting with us. Thank yeah, you guys, man. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. It's uh, It's been cool. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the love, man, for real. All right. Take care, man. There it is, man. Be well. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 160. That was our conversation with Marlon Kraft. Uh, shout out to him for coming on again. Uh, real cool cat, right, Nate? Totally cool. And though not as young as I thought, probably one of the youngest people we've interviewed. Uh, oh, easily. Bod Future, if you will. I think Dave coined that term. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, um, I'm kind of pissed that I missed that interview. Um, what about Marlon Struck, you guys? Well, he, he definitely has his head on straight in terms of, of how he's approaching the business. He created this interesting platform, which he talked about for listeners to engage with his work. Um, and he just seems to have a really kind of good attitude. And, um, you know, he's 
he's got a lot going for him. Uh, I also thought it was really funny how negative he was on the Knicks at probably the best that they've been in like 20 years. He's like, ah, I don't know about this. I, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was great. He I enjoyed is, his basketball contrarianism as well. And yes. it's like he, he, as he pointed out, he's earned it. They've broken <laughs> yeah. his heart so many times. You just have to he's not, he can't love again. <laughs> um, I, I think he can really rhyme when he's choosing yeah. to go into kind of beast mode or like just barring out like there's a couple moments on the records that i listened to where i was like okay like you you know i like when somebody just goes for it and just kind of puts Mm -hmm. on a a standard beat and just kind of rips it and he he can do that and so i i found that really impressive and then meeting him i was just like yeah i mean this this he's got it like he's just he's going to be very successful in this industry because he's doing things the right way staying independent yeah, um, generating a fan base. I didn't bring it up in the interview and I didn't know if he would care, but the first time I actually heard of him was in a New Yorker talk of the town segment. Oh, really? Um, so, you know, when my worlds collide. Yeah. <laughs> really? In the New Yorker? Wow. Yeah, it, was, okay. it was about him filming a low budget video and like a very like New York slice of life thing that like, like investment okay. bankers read on the toilet or whatever, but right. um, a totally like just, he's a, he's a New Yorker, man. Like there's something yeah, I was gonna about say be, that. being from the Mecca. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and being immersed in hip-hop culture whether you want to or not that I think breeds mm-hmm. really interesting people and figures and there's like a toughness to being in New yeah, York yeah, and yeah. through the snow and getting on the subway and waiting in yeah. line at, or online as they would say for everything um one of my the, the a internet comedian I follow named Catherine Cohen has this poem in her new book of poems about how New York is funny because you have to wait in line to walk over a puddle because there's so many people <laughs> and, and so I many think people. about that a lot yeah. we live in like the opposite thing right there's plenty Absolutely. of room to go around all the puddles here it's beautiful yeah funny we don't even have puddles that's how exactly. wild we are. Exactly. yeah I'm, I'm like off on such a tangent right now but anyway uh, Marlon Craft cool person really good question answerer and yeah, I think it has a bright future in the game that's absolutely cool. I mean, he's, he's under the tutelage of dante ross the great so i mean that's i'm sure that speaks volumes and also shout out to adam mansbach who helped us um sort of connect with uh, marlon so shout out oh oh dope dope always yeah, yeah, yeah. uh always appreciate mansbach's uh guidance and uh in his tweets he has some usually has some fire tweets uh yeah shout out marlon Kraft. thanks for coming on the program we talked at the top about the Biggie documentary, I Got a Story to Tell. Um, our question of the week was based around the takes of our, our Twitter followers. If you're not already following us on Twitter, at DadBodRapPod on Twitter, usually post a question of the week on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, hell of a hangover Sunday morning. So it was, it was tough, it was tough <laughs> posting this question, but I got through it. Um, and the question was, what is your take on the new uh, Biggie documentary? So we got some interesting responses. I wanna share some of them here. Once again, thanks for everybody who uh, chimed in. Uh, we'll start with Mask of Noro, that's N-O-R-R-O. Um, this person says, mixed bag, love the camcorder footage, the Jamaican backstory, jazz influence, and easy Moby getting shine. Yes. Not so keen on the overnight sensation narrative or Diddy's apparent belief that Biggie's style came from nowhere. So 
we we talked about that a little bit at that, the that's time. our segment um, you just heard boiled down into one and a half sentences <laughs> <laughs> pretty right? much 200 280 characters of uh of critique there we appreciate you mask of noro who uh who chimes in on our our timeline quite a bit um this next one is from lyric jones who was a guest on the program uh not too long ago uh the donald harrison part was my favorite no docs ever really talk about how jazz influenced Biggie's flow and delivery, elongated vowels, and so on. Was dope to hear them highlight that. Uh, appreciate Larry Jones chiming in. Uh, her album, Closer Than They Appear, is out right now. Y'all should check that out. And also, I'm not sure what number it was, but our conversation with her was dope, too. So definitely check that out. Uh, friend of the program, Sean Kantrowitz, at Sean Dammit on uh, Twitter. Really enjoyed the focus on pre-career stuff since the rest of his life is pretty well documented. It also is really drove home how young he was when he died, the kid. Only Quam Puffs claim that Biggie style was unprecedented when it's easy to draw connections to his influences. Uh, shout out Sean Kantrowitz. Can't Knock the Shuffle, his amazing podcast season two. Uh, it's coming out really soon. This is a Stony Island label mate of ours. Uh, shout out to Sean for chiming in. Here's the last one we'll do. Uh, at Julian Brimmers, interesting how it portrays Biggie plus his family's immigrant story is highly skeptical of anything American dream, even at his commercial peak. Juicy might have been the only point where he bought into it himself. So we, we talked a little bit about this at the top, um, Biggie's immigrant roots and i have a much longer screed on uh famous west indians uh who came to america and just did amazing things we just celebrated uh, both harry belafonte and Sidney portier's 90 plus birthdays and they're like the quintessential uh west indian hard-working amazing people i think biggie is very much of that tradition um but this very interesting this notion of the american dream so he kind of played both sides, right? Like they really play up in the movie his uh, his one foot in the street life and kind of like one foot uh, in rhyming. Nate, I'll throw this out to you. We saw a bunch of rappers line up uh, to kiss the ass of Donald Trump and the American dream in the last election cycle. Would Biggie have ever? No. Oh, I would like to think not, but he would have been filthy rich so who knows that right. money warps people's <laughs> minds but um i, I want to say this to that uh i thought it was very compelling how they ke he kept saying like like uh so a big part of this is like puff is fired or asked to leave or whatever from uptown records and he hadn't quite founded bad boy yet right like there's yeah. he's in this yeah. nether world where there's no place for biggie's record to come out so it takes a little longer than it should ends up coming out at a really good time for hip hop, et cetera, et cetera. But something Biggie kept saying in that archival footage where I think it's just audio and they were just showing images of him on the streets or with his crew during this part of the documentary a lot. He was like, don't, don't come in here promising me anything. Like don't, don't come mm. up here telling me everything's going to be okay. If it's not, you know, it's just like, I found that very compelling in my very small window of uh, being in the small time record label world it's like it's tough with these artists who like you're offering them like a service essentially of like if not representation then like pressing and distro and some kind of like marketing and it's like 
you can't really like promise them anything. It's all a crapshoot. Like mm. as, as spectacularly talented as Biggie is, if uh, they choose the wrong single or mm-hmm. something happens mm-hmm. to him or he gets arrested or his daughter gets sick mm-hmm. or Puff never founds Bad Boy or Craig Mack doesn't have a hit to fund the rollout. Like there's just so many things like it, it didn't have to go down the way it did. And we we all said we thought he was so talented it would have happened, whatever. And that may be true, but from Biggie's perspective, mm-hmm. coming from that immigrant mm-hmm. perspective, and it was so interesting too, just to get these last thoughts out, I'm rambling a little. He's from Clinton Hill, not Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Just fascinating now. That's like those, like a brownstone, like he grew up in would be like a million dollars. A million house. bucks, easy, right? And uh, his mom had a job. Like his, some of his other yeah. friends who he hustled with, they were from much worse circumstances. He was- He went to private school. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. middle class, maybe lower middle class if you wanted to get, like dig down into it, but he- he always made it seem like he just had to hustle and it's like he kind of could have went and got a job if he wanted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're probably better that he didn't i'm gonna chime in here then i'm gonna kick it to you dave um i have this theory both about uh west indians and also about people who grew up poverty adjacent um i feel that especially artists who grew up poverty adjacent or close enough to understand what the streets are like but not really experience it um, I always feel like they go harder. I feel like Ice Cube's rhymes are harder because he could view it as a spectator. Right. Like he right. wasn't actually a part a part of the street life. He went to a very, you know, high-end school on the other side of the valley. Like he his debt, he was in a home with his father. Like his parents had jobs. He was gonna go to air conditioning school if if the NWA thing didn't work out. But his street life narratives come from a perspective of somebody who was trying to prove their mettle. Um, and I definitely got that sense with the, from the Biggie documentary that he was, he wanted to show he could go out on the Ave um, and be that guy. Um, and, he, and sometimes you totally can. And he, he totally embodied that. And I'm sure he was very, very good at the drug dealing. Um, but we're all, we're all better that he, A, didn't get a job at Orange Julius and B, um, didn't succumb to the uh, to the street life. Uh, Dave, you're you're from a, a hardcore section of Santa Clara. <laughs> <laughs> jokes, Sweet. jokes. Um, give us you you get the parting words on on the Biggie doc and just Biggie for this episode. Oh man, you know it's it's I, I I'm at a loss for words because really I mean we were. We're just kind of talking about him and the person, and I'm and I'm glad that we emphasize that because you know um, I think his mom was a nurse, right? I think they talked about it in the film, and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, to your point, Damone, about him sort of being hood adjacent. I think it sort of gives you the luxury of being more um, hard, and like you you have the luxury to dramatize it. You know what I mean? Like if you perhaps grew up in it, um, you wouldn't you 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 don't have the sort of time frame and mind state that's slightly removed from it to, you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 color, to colorize it, you know? So um, mm-hmm. my, my last like parting words on Biggie is just like, you know, I had mentioned it earlier, um, that thing about Jay-Z having released music longer than Biggie was alive. Um, that's just, just, that just really hurts, man. It really sucks yeah. that this life force got taken away. And, um, you know, it's one of those where like, what could he have done? Mm. what could he have done mm. 
um, his prestige is based off of essentially one album and, and like 20 other songs. And yeah, I mean, we, he's already considered the greatest, but geez, what would rap have been if, had he been alive? Oh my gosh, the trajectory of rap, we'll, we'll never know. Um, I have always said, and I think a lot of folks would agree with this, that Jay-Z's, Jay-Z's trajectory is not what it was in rap if, if Big is still there. Jay-Z stepped into an amazing, um, this huge void and kind of filled it and is an amazing artist in his own right and one of my favorite artists of all time. But um, history is what it is and it, it kind of fell how it fell. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in to kind of celebrate the life and work of Notorious B.I.G. on this program. This is the type of conversation that you can come to expect from the Dad Bod Rap Pod, not only here on the podcast, but also we are doing a new promotion with an app called Stereo. Uh, you might have heard us talking about it the last couple of weeks. Stereo is an app that allows you to listen to or participate in conversations with people from around the world. Um, you don't see them. You see their avatars, which is, is an interesting, quirky thing, um, especially if you're like middle-aged guys trying to make avatars. But we did it. And not only that, we have a stereo show that we do on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, which is three hours uh, before New York and I guess an hour after Maui, uh, just for, for our worldwide audience. Uh, tune in to the program. You can hear two of us uh, talking about the most recent episode we recorded and kind of general rap banter um, that is kind of like a bonus podcast, if you will. So download the app, check us out on stereo. Um, and we, we'd love to have you come into the room. Uh, with that, I will also plug our social media platforms at DadBodRapPod on Twitter, at DadBodRapPod on IG. We drop episodes every Thursday. Um, and, you know, we are part of the Stony Island mothership. So shout out to Stony Island. Shout out to uh, Open Mike Eagle uh, and everybody on the, on the network. We're going to keep doing what we do because we are the DadBodRapPod.